Welcome to Loop Me In, the podcast community for parents and carers on raising children with disabilities. Join presenters Dr. Lisa Interligi and Christine Christopoulos and their guests on sharing experiences, information, and support ideas to help children with disabilities flourish. Loop Me In is brought to you weekly on platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, to name a few. You can learn more, connect with the Loop Me In community, and listen to more episodes on our website, loop-me-in.com.au. Hi, ladies. Welcome to our podcast. I think we're at number nine now, so it's very exciting. Thank you. Um, thank you for having us. Yes, thank you pleasure. for having us. Both ladies, you're with Writing with the Disabled, an amazing organisation that's been in Australia for around, since about 1970. It was established in England, I believe, from what I read. Yes. Yeah, so the origins of it was from a writer, Liz Hartel, who um, she had a disability resulting from polio and didn't have any muscle function really in her lower legs. And she actually won silver medals for dressage at both the 1952 and 56 Olympics. And so her success there sort of inspired the RDA movement, which went to the UK and started in a, in hospitals and became associated initially with polio, uh, the British Polio Fellowship, and then grew from there and grew throughout the 1960s. Back in 1976, Princess Anne became um, the patron of RDA, and she still is today. And, yeah, the, the movement grew and came to Australia in 1970. Wow. And tell us a little bit about Elizabeth. How did she come up with the idea of putting children with the horses? She was more of the inspiration behind it. So because she'd caused such a sort of sensation around riding in mainstream dressage at a a really elite level without having any um, functional lower legs, it inspired it. So she didn't actually begin it herself, but she was the inspiration. And there's a long waiting list I can see as well. (laughs) Ah, yes, unfortunately, because... We're volunteer, again, not-for-profit, a registered charity. There are very, very few paid staff or paid coaches, so it's mainly volunteer-based, which, of course, sort of limits the times and places of operation we can operate out of. But we're always building towards training more volunteers and more coaches and that sort of thing to expand the program. Waiting lists aren't as much of an issue in regional Victoria, but definitely in the metropolitan area. And ladies, what is it about horses that enables this connection between them and the child with a disability? I think, and Lindsay can help me with this one if you want, horses are unique. I mean, obviously they are. They speak a different language to horses, but they still communicate with people. To interact successfully with a horse, you have to sort of slow down and help build that connection. Uh, When you're sitting on a horse, there's that sense of, you're feeling empowered because you're on top of a, a you know a large animal. You're working on being in control of large animal with the assistance of volunteers. There's that sense of warmth because they are covered with you know hair and they're a living animal. And our horses are very specifically chosen for their patience and their ability to work with people. So I think in that way they help build a connection 
to people with and without a, a disability. Yes, I'd agree. So horses, I find, even with riders, before they even get on the first time, just approaching the horse and having the horse recognise them and acknowledge them can be huge for some riders. And they actually are then able to communicate with that horse quite quickly, actually, isn't it, Edwina, with some mm. some riders that they, they get that communication quite quickly, which is huge, really. It gives them such a, a sense of achievement. Often when maybe they can't get that kind of connection, even with people, mm. they can then get it with this animal and it's it's quite incredible. I think it also enables that outdoor recreation and exploration of the world from the the back of the horse as well, which may not be an option for if someone has limited mobility to be out and about and and enjoying the environment really promotes sort of self-esteem and provides challenges into developing skills. Yes, just splashing through puddles on a horse can bring so much joy to a child. Yeah, it's that freedom, isn't it, of being that high and, yeah, I do remember that, yeah. Mm. And, and maybe more mobile than they perhaps are themselves. Yes. You know. mm. And with the, the movement of a, a horse, it simulates the pelvic movement of someone walking. So when you're sitting on a horse, you're being rocked back and forth from side to side and it's very similar to the movement you get if you were walking. So that's why it helps with people's mobility as well and exercising the muscles around the pelvis and the core. Mm, I haven't thought about that. And I do remember when Matthew was quite young, he was about four or five and struggled to walk properly. And the physio was the one that suggested riding horses. And that really did help his core strength to be able to keep that still and be able to walk Yep, and when we're talking about hippotherapy, which is the actual real therapy involving the horse, the therapist will choose the horse to match the rider because the horse becomes the tool. Mm. And instead of the different tools they use in their, their clinics and in their practices, you have a living tool that you can adjust to match the client. So it's really special in that sense too. Is it matching temperament or...? size or energy of the horse or what what are you actually matching matching in that sense they're matching for the movement so if a rider needs a bit more say rotation through their pelvis they'll get a horse that's movement will facilitate that because horses themselves have different movements some have a very flat back and forth type movement to their walk some have a more side to side that really really swings the rider a bit more. So they'll try and match that horse movement to what the rider requires. So um, if a rider needs a lot of movement, they'll find a horse that provide that. But if perhaps they're just starting their riding journey, they might need too much movement because it might, you know, cause some damage. If they had a really big, strong, striding, moving horse, they might need a horse that just takes little steps and doesn't cause that much movement until they can build up. Yeah, I did read about, especially with children with cerebral palsy, it's really good for their core muscles because they actually don't often use those areas and it's very strengthening for that. And I think as well because you don't have to use saddles, you can use back pads or sheepskin 
So you can use the warmth of the horse and the warmth of, say, if you're using a sheepskin over the horse's back to help relax the muscles as well. How how long have you been doing this for? I've been teaching coaching for about eight years now and I just joined the state office last year, so I've almost been there a year. But I've been coaching with riding for the disabled for a while now and been with horses all my life, so I'm very, very, very horsey and the, the riding for the disabled came on a little bit later. But it's something I've absolutely loved and enjoyed. And myself, I was very much a competitor. I started working with riders that were keen to go out and compete. So I'd trundle off to the shows and Edwina would see me, wouldn't you, Edwina? <laughs> Many riders in tow <laughs> doing lots of competing because RDA runs shows throughout the year, which is fabulous because riders can come from all different disabilities and, and compete and it's so fun and they, they love it. They absolutely love it. It's, it's it's a really unique opportunity to be able to be involved with that. It's super. And I also can see through the horses that, especially a child with autism, it can really help with their anxiety and just their emotional problems that they're having, which is even when these children get older, anxiety can heighten. And that, I do find that the horses just relax the child. Have you seen that in your practice? Oh, yes. Absolutely. We had a a study done in association with Latrobe or done by Latrobe University last year, and that was looking at the effects of therapeutic writing sessions on um, children with autism. And they they found that even those riders who had really challenging behaviours at school and at home exhibited much calmer behaviours at RDA and that the parents reported the calming effect of horses on riders and some even said that the RDA sessions were necessary for the, the management of their child's condition, which was just fabulous. And it was also the motivating factor, I think, that the children say with ASD and other developmental challenges, were more willing to participate in RDA and chose to engage in that other in preference to other therapeutic type activities that, or therapies they were undertaking. And it was a very positive experience and a very positive community. And a lot of comments were also around acceptance and feeling at home, which was really important. Mm. How do you get children to rise? Like I'm imagining with lawyer, he would find it a little bit daunting to actually get on the horse. Do you start by getting on the horse or is it a gradual process? How does that work? It depends on the child, really. Some can't wait to get on. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas others you need to take a bit more time with. The centre that I worked at, we had a mechanical horse as well. So if the child was concerned about getting on, we could put them on the mechanical horse first show them how to mount so that they became familiar with that, how to hold the reins, how to sit. And then when it actually came to the horse, it was a little bit less daunting. Yep. Worked quite well. I think it's we encourage people, uh, uh, well, centres to give information to riders prior to beginning. Sometimes coaches will visit, say, a classroom or at home and perhaps take a helmet along or lend a helmet out if a rider doesn't like wearing um, helmets or it's a bit a bit too new to take home and practice with. And we do get some medical information prior just to make sure that that rider is safe to begin riding. 
I think that's the interesting thing about RDA. You have to think outside the box. So if someone is a little reticent about writing, you can think of the different ways you can help make that person feel comfortable to to get on and start. And it's interesting. I used to work at a writing school and we had a whole range of different writers coming. And one thing that struck me in particular, we had a group one day of actually kids of new refugees into the country who had seen a lot of really bad stuff in their very short lives. And some of them are very, very nervous. But just by introducing to horses, leading them around, watching other people ride was really good. Suddenly it switched on a light and everybody wanted to get on and then nobody wanted to get off. And so we find that in RDA as well sometimes that once people get comfortable and they see and it's about making that sort of leap of faith and going, yeah, we can do that, then you often find that they're the the riders you get the most joy out of because, you know, they've come from a position of perhaps fear or uncertainty or lack of trust to going, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, so true. In your research, did it say why the um, the writing had a calming effect? Did they explore that? Not as much. In fact, it just showed that it did have that effect. There is a growing body of research around that. There hasn't been much. There's a lot of anecdotal stuff, but they are working it, particularly internationally, in getting um, some really solid evidence to a higher research level, research standard. I was listening the other day to somebody who was talking about the side-to-side movement of the eye and that that side-to-side movement happens when you're walking. It's a natural thing. And I guess it's trying to find if there's hazards around when you're walking and that's a kind of a natural uh, thing for your brain to do. And it has the effect of calming the amygdala, which is a part of the brain that is associated with fear. And the front mechanism. So I wonder if that movement that you were talking about, that, pel- you know, moving the pelvis and the rocking side to side, which mimics walking, mm-hmm. might have something to do with that. Oh, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a, it's a very much a rhythmic movement, which may impact the calming influence, just that gentle rocking back and forth. He was nonverbal when he was on the horse and it was just the amount of conversation obviously still limited that he had with the horse, even though the horse couldn't talk back to him. Yep. He started talking a lot more. The words that we had learnt in speech therapy that I could never get out of him at home, when we jumped on the horse with him, it was that connection he had with the horse because it was the same horse every week. And then the language started to develop and we Mm. understood, wow, you can actually say those words that the speech therapist is trying to speak. Do you find that? Yes. Yeah. I remember we had a rider once way back and we were assured that she was nonverbal, but you found that she's saying she would ask to go to the gate or say different words. So I think it was just such a motivating factor, the Mm. horse. And, and such a, a lovely environment to be in and is relaxation and, and yes, yeah, so it definitely. Mm. And do you need special equipment to ride? 
Sometimes we have an adaptive equipment register, which are formally approved because obviously they have to meet safety standards and all sorts of things. Saddles can be modified. There can be um, different stirrups to use. There can be different reins to allow different grasps. We have bar reins for someone who rides, say, with one hand, but Lindsay uses a lot of different equipment, don't you, in your... your yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. We have some reins that actually fix to the rider's arms where the rider doesn't have lower forearms and that's specially designed so that they will come unclipped if the rider comes off. They were really a real help. We Initially, we used Velcro, but we found that wasn't quite as reliable and occasionally it would come undone. We really didn't want it to come undone. Also, we got <laughs> circles. So... <laughs> A gentleman from Queensland, a saddler from Queensland, stepped in and helped us to design these particular reins for this young lady so that she could ride and, and go forwards and compete. Yes, as Willina says, we use lots of different types of reins. We use reins with loops in them so that riders that don't have that grasping capacity with their hands can actually just put their hands in and are able to, to hold on. So there's a variety of of different reins and things that we can use to help riders that have difficulty holding them. What about the horses? Do you need certain horses to do this type of work? Um, very special. Yes, <laughs> it is. <laughs> very special. From all shapes and sizes, don't they, Edwina? Oh, absolutely. People, yes, we do need to have them to be really quiet, but they've got to be really sound in their body and fit in their body as well as in their mind. So they need to be strong, they need to be able to work, but they also need that patience, you know, just ability to work with people really, isn't it, Lindsay? They've got to really want to work with you. That's right. You've got to have that horse that really wants to be there and working with you. I've worked with some amazing horses over the years that just know what it is that I need. Although the rider's on and giving instructions, you know that horse is listening to you as the coach uh, and following the instructions that you're giving. And really what you just build this amazing connection with these horses so that they can help riders develop their independence. So the horse will know that you want it to walk on, know from the coach. The rider gives the aid, but the, the horse is really working with you as a coach. But the rider then feels that they're, doing it themselves and eventually that's the way it works they've learned how to do that and they become independent and that's quite incredible horses they are quite amazing as to how they adapt you'll have a rider get on that potentially can walk trot canter and the horse will do exactly that and then you put a rider on that that really needs to be able to walk and the horse will bring it right back down and just stay and walk for that rider they, they're quite phenomenal particularly for the hoists and different mounting strategies Mm -hmm. as well. So some riders do need to use a hoist to get on or some riders need to use the ramp to get on and the horse has to be able to stand there to allow that to safely occur. So they really do have that understanding then that if, say, if there's a bit of a loud noise or they get a bit impatient or they want to move off, they realise that, oh, no, no, We've got to stand here until we're told to go. Wish I had that horse. I had a, an experience as a child where I went to a, a horse riding camp and the horse was very frisky and uh, took off and I ended up just holding it around 
around its neck, whispering in its ear to stop. But so, <laughs> <laughs> well, and I definitely need a hoist now at my age to get on a, get a horse. So maybe I should come too. But um, just wondering, what sort of training is required for a coach? Well, we do ask that a coach sort of volunteers or attends a centre for a while so they understand what we do because you really have to see it in action Mm. and you really have to really see it and understand it to fit in as a coach. Then we have several levels. So there's an orientation or introductory coaching course which allows someone to train up and become a coach assistant or assistant coach. Then there's a level one coach who can manage and run programs at a centre. And then if people are really interested, they can do a level two riding coach as well, which is more competitive and more into the therapeutic, more deeper into that side. Um, We also have carriage driving. So they branch off and do carriage driving coaching and also vaulting, which is performing as a, a team on a horse. So using the horse at a walk and at a canter. We haven't had too many canter vaulters where you can get on from the ground and perform a series of gymnastic-type movements on the horse. But that is really good, particularly at the lower levels, to develop teamwork because people will help themselves on and off. They might sit on on the horse as a pair and work together. So, yeah, that's great as well. The process of becoming a coach usually takes between one and two years and you do have to have a have set number of hours of experience and be mentored by a coach educator. And when's the right time for a child to come to your centre? I don't know if there there is a set right time. It's if someone's interested mm. in riding and feels they can cope perhaps with a large animal. Mm. Uh, but again, we do have strategies to work out and some people might need to go away and visit and then process before coming mm. back. So really it's very individual. Yeah. And what sort of safety considerations do you have? I remember I was always worried Matthew was going to let go and back then I don't think they had anything else available, but I was always scared he was going to let go and fall over and he never did. But what are the sort of safety considerations you take now? Obviously, you know, horses have the potential to be dangerous tools of the trade, so to speak. So all of our volunteers are trained to provide various supports to riders, but also in horse behaviour and horse management. Mm. Uh, We're very regulated with a lot of policies and procedures to ensure, you know, the safety of everyone, including the horses as well. And so what if you are looking at a session and rider support, is that that rider might need one or two sidewalkers that are people walking alongside them to help provide support. The horse could have a leader, so they are in control of the horse. And then those sidewalkers are able to provide feedback to the coach or feedback from the coach to the rider as to keep things safe and effective. If necessary, they're trained to performing emergency dismounts where they can get the rider off very quickly if something was going to go wrong or perhaps the horse is getting annoyed, perhaps there's a fly buzzing around and and the horse is getting a bit anxious or perhaps the rider is getting anxious so we can, we are trained in sort of um, intervening 
but also a set of different holds and supports in place to help support the rider on the horse. And what's the best story that you've got, the best experience that you can tell us about? I think back to one rider and out of all of many stories, like I said, it reminded me before there was this little boy that came along once and we used to have this very cute little Welsh pony. It was only about 11 or 12 hands high. It was tiny, but it was such a good pony. He did not want to get on. He was that anxious about getting on. He was really worried. He was to the point of tears. And so we got him leading the horse and he had a volunteer with him that was helping leading. And initially he was hanging right at the end of the lead rope and the volunteer was between him and the horse and he was leading it around. But gradually after about half an hour he decided that it would be okay if he got on. But I was walking beside him and his little knuckles were white and hanging onto my arm going, don't let go, don't let go. And then gradually we played some games and we did things. And by the end he was riding with the leader, but I was about two metres away. And suddenly it just dawned on his face. He just went, I'm doing this. And it was just the look of absolute joy on his face. I can remember to this day and it was like 15 years ago. So (laughs) I was like, yeah, that was good. (laughs) I had a young lady come to me who was completely blind. She's in her early 20s and she wanted to ride. So we got her on the horse and we started her riding and she absolutely fell in love with it. She adored it and wanted to come every day if possible. We took her to the state championships. It was the first competition she'd ever done in anything. She was a walk rider. She did everything in walk, but she entered, she wanted to enter everything that she possibly could. So we put her in every single class that we could get her into. One of them was the show jumping. So we we took her. She was a bit nervous to start with, but she did the first round and did it really, really well. And she got into the jump off because she went clear. She was in the jump off. She had a particularly competitive leader who were, who really helped her get around quite quickly. At the end, she said, oh, so much fun. I absolutely loved it. It was so much fun. And then when it came to the prize giving, she'd actually won the show jumping. (laughs) (laughs) She just just was in so much shock. She said, I've never won anything in my life. Bless (laughs) it. Just the most gorgeous thing. And she still rides with us to this day and she just absolutely loves it. She She can't get enough of horses and she's... Being um, COVID at the moment, she hasn't been able to come out much, but she did uh, message me the other day and said, I just want to smell a horse. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, she's a woman after your own hearts, I think. she is indeed, yeah. Absolutely, she's a horsewoman. So, so lovely to talk to you both today and um, we'd love to come out. You've inspired me to come out and bring Louis out and see whether he'd like to get on a horse. I know I've taken him to farms and things where the horses just actually come over to the fence and follow him around the fence. So I guess he's uh, got the language but um, has never been on a horse. So thank you so much for your time. It's been lovely to meet you. So lovely, ladies. Thank you. No worries. Thank you. Lovely to meet you too. Yeah, lovely to meet you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Thanks for being part of the Loop Me In community today and joining our conversation on raising children with disabilities. Join us for the next episode on some of your favorite platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you would like to support us, 
please recommend the Loop Me In podcast to your network of parents, carers, and providers. If you would like us to cover a topic or invite a guest to chat, please email us at contact at loop-me-in.com.au or go to our website at loop-me-in.com.au. If you've got any feedback, please let us know so we can improve and cover issues you want. And of course, if anything in the podcast today has raised concerns for you, you can contact Beyond Blue on 1300 4636 or Lifeline on 13 